So we're uh, going back to finish up some stuff that we started. All right, I've got several series like that that I kind of took a break, and and now we're gonna we're we're doing some cleanup work. All right, at least I am, and uh, going back to the book of First Kings, and uh, just to give you a real quick uh, recap of of like where we ended, because it's been a quite a while when we ended there at the end of First Kings chapter. 11. If you have a device or have a Bible, I'd encourage you to open up. Um, I'm actually going to be reading, when I do some quotations today, I will be using the New Living Translation. Sometimes I'll do that if I'm reading large swaths of, swaths of Scripture. It's a little bit more uh, easy to follow when you're listening or something, but just so you know. Uh, so have that at the ready here. But at 1 Kings 11, it ended with Solomon dying, all right? And then there was also a prophecy uh, that was uh, given that said that Jeroboam uh, was going to actually end up, that the kingdom would be divided, and that Jeroboam would end up with 10 uh, of the tribes, and that uh, Rehoboam, who was actually the heir to the throne, right, Solomon's uh, son, would be left with the remnant there uh, in Jerusalem. Okay, so uh, just so just remembering the family tree here, right? So Solomon, uh, right, known as the wisest man who ever lived, right? And the scripture's there. Uh, he was the son of David. And then uh, this next in line here is Rehoboam. Okay, Jeroboam took off for Egypt, um, thinking that, they, uh, that Solomon might have him killed with some things that had happened earlier. So that's kind of where we ended in, in chapter 11. All right, so... So today what I'm going to do is we're going to kind of take a run through some of the highlights in chapters 12 to 14, specifically looking at Rehoboam and Jeroboam, okay? Rehoboam and Jeroboam. So let's, let's pray here again just for asking for God's help this morning. God, we, <clears throat> we come to you this morning as we come to your word, and we also don't want to forget, Lord, that uh, we need your help even just to, to get it. We, we ask that you would convict where you need to convict us, uh, strengthen us where we need strengthened, uh, encourage us, uh, whatever we need, each individual here, Lord, we just pray that you would help us, uh, help us to, to listen to what the Spirit is saying in these scriptures, uh, in these passages, and help us, God, to uh, have a soft heart. Let us not have a heart that doesn't listen, but give us a heart that really is sensitive to your words. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So again, I said we'll be hanging out there in 1 Kings chapter 12 and on to 14. And uh, what I wanted to do first here was just uh, take a look at the lay of the land literally here. Um, might be helpful uh, at the very top middle, you'll see a flag there, and it says the word Shechem. So the opening verses here mentions this place, Shechem. All right, and then look just below kind of where the, the green and the brown there are, uh, another flag, that's where Jerusalem is, okay? And in, in a few verses here, the kingdom will be divided. Right now, it's still a united kingdom, all 12 tribes of Israel, right? Um, but in a few minutes, 
Uh, so from here on out, basically, when you hear Israel referred to, it's this group up here, the, the ten tribes of Israel up there. Okay, and then below down here, you see in green, Judah, right? Um, and, and, and then that's the center of worship there in Jerusalem, right? So that down here in the, in the green with the flag, where it doesn't actually have the words Jerusalem, but that is Jerusalem. And so that's where everybody goes to worship, right? Um, but the dividing line is above that, where these tribes, the ten tribes up there, the remaining ones uh, down below, all right? So um, let's, let's see what's going to happen here in the first 14 verses uh, of this chapter 12. Let me just read a little bit here. So if you're getting your following on, I'm going to do in the New Living Translation, verse 1 of chapter 12. It says, Rehoboam went to Shechem. Okay, that's that place up north there. Right, Rehoboam went to Shechem, where all Israel had gathered to make him king. All right, we're looking at a coronation ceremony here, basically, right? They're looking to uh, recognize him as the next king. When Jeroboam, okay, remember this is the guy that I told you in chapter 11, he took off to Egypt for his life, basically, waiting for Solomon to die. He's died. Now he hears from his buddies, hey, something's going on in Shechem. They're about ready to install Rehoboam. But Jeroboam's probably thinking, uh, I did not forget the prophecy made concerning me that I will be a king of ten tribes. Okay? All right, so then we say verse 2, when Jeroboam, son of Nebat, heard of this, he returned from Egypt, for he had fled to Egypt to escape from King Solomon, Verse 3, the leaders of Israel summoned him and Jeroboam and the whole assembly of Israel went to speak with Jeroboam. So they're all, they got this little gathering here before the coronation, all right? And he says, <clears throat> says uh, verse 4, your father was a hard master. So they're speaking to Rehoboam and they're talking about Solomon. They're saying, your dad was a tough guy on us. Um, I don't know if you remember this, but he did institute some forced labor, okay, to build all that stuff. He did, all right, so he was hard on them, um, and so it says, your father was a hard master, they said, lighten the harsh labor demands and heavy taxes that your father imposed on us, then we will be your loyal subjects. They're kind of negotiating terms, because, you know, you don't really have a kingdom if you don't have subjects, right, <laughs> okay, you got to be willing to be governed, right? Um, and so, so this is, they're kind of negotiating this, and it says, Rehoboam replied, verse, verse 5, give me three days to think this over. Okay, so he's going to think about it. Now he's going he's to bring in some counselors, some, some advisors. The first group is uh, the old guard that advises dad. So they've had a lot of experience, all right? They have a lot of experience, and in verse 7, it says, the older counselors replied, if you are willing to be a servant to these people today and give them a favorable answer, they will always be your loyal subjects. In other words, give them a break. Serve them. Have a, a, a leader, a, a servant leader heart, you know, rather than a taskmaster, right? That's what their advice is. It says, but Rehoboam rejected the advice of the older men and instead asked the opinion of the young men who had grown up with him. You know, that's, that's, you know, get good advice, but if you don't like it, just get rid of those guys and bring in somebody who will tell you what you want to hear. Right? This is what's happening. And um, it says, 
there that um, he rejected the advice of the older men, verse 8, instead asked the opinion of the younger men who had grown up with him and were now his advisors, what is your advice? Uh, he asked them, how should I answer these people who want me to lighten the burdens imposed by my father? The young men replied, this is what you should tell those complainers who want a lighter burden. You know, these guys probably grew up with a, you know, gold sippy cup, you know. Um, and then it says, my little finger is thicker than your father's waist. Um, now that's, they think that's a, um, they think this is not what you think it is. Okay, they think it's some kind of a, my, my uh, well, it's, it's kind of like, uh, I'm, I'm more manly than you. Let's just leave it there, okay? Um, it's the best way I can think to say it. That's what uh, scholars think this is. This is saying, my, I'm a bigger man than you are, right? And so, uh, so they, they're saying, saying this, and they said, yes, my father laid heavy burdens on you, but I'm going to make them even heavier. Uh, my father beat you with whips, but I will beat you with scorpions. I mean, man, really stirring up a hornet's nest here, didn't we? Right? Okay, so he listens to these guys. Verse 15, so the king said, paid no attention to the people. This turn of events, listen to this now, this turn of events, verse 15, was the will of the Lord. This turn of events was the will of the Lord, for it fulfilled the Lord's message to Jeroboam, son of Nebat, through the prophet Ahijah from Shiloh. It's saying God's making good on the prophecy. You know, even though... These people are of their own free will making these choices. God's working all this. All right, he said this is going to happen. It's happening. Um, so I keep thinking to myself, well, God works through even our own stupid choices. Okay, well, thank God for that. Okay, even our own really boneheaded uh, mistakes, right, that we make. Um, he can even work through that. All right, so... Verse 16, now listen to the black backlash. When all Israel realized that the king had refused to listen to them, they responded, down with the dynasty of David. Uh, we have no interest in the son of Jesse. Back to your throne, O Israel. Look out uh, for your own house, O David. So the people of Israel returned home, but Jeroboam continued to rule over the Israelites who lived in the towns of Judah. So I, this is fascinating. They rejected the house of David, not just like Solomon's son. They're just like, we're done with this, um, the ten tribes there in the north. And so they split off. And the thing I was just thinking about this, and you don't want to just, I don't want to say it, um, can't think of the right word. You just don't want to uh, take everything and, and make some kind of ethical statement about it. But, but I think there is something to learn here as a leader, right? Um, you know, he, he has any, doesn't have anybody following him. It's not leading, but they're just taking a walk, right? You ever heard that? He who is leading, but no one is following. You're just simply taking a walk. Well, this guy's he's got a few people leading him, but uh, would you want to be known for the guy that split the kingdom, right? Uh, and, and so anyway... Um, he rejects wise counsel, and, uh, and I can't help but think about how we need to think about uh, some of Jesus' words in Mark 10, 42. So Mark 10, 42. 
I mean, certainly leaders have to make hard choices. Certainly leaders have to make unpopular choices. And um, some people in doing so may think that you're being mean. But what's your heart as a leader, right? Uh, Whatever you're leading your home or you're leading your children or you're leading uh, whatever it is. Uh, So Mark 10, verse uh, 42 to 45 So Jesus called them together and said, You know that the rulers in this world lorded over their people, and officials flaunt their authority over those under them. But among you, it will be different. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first among you must be the slave of everyone else. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. Again, that's Mark 10, 42 to 45. We see Jesus here saying, you know, uh, a godly leader is not someone who's going to ride a rough shot over the people and oppress them. Actually, you should see your job as to serve the people and help them flourish, right, in a godly way. And, um, you know, uh, and along the lines of, of just rejecting counsel out of hand, because it pretty much seemed like he had his mind made up. Or else, why would he just? Why wouldn't he just say, "Well, hey guys, thanks for thanks, old guys, for the counsel. I'll weigh that in with some other counsel I'm going to get." No, he just already kind of the way the record goes is he rejected it out of hand and went with his peers, right? And so, which just reminds me of Proverbs. There's lots of Proverbs here, but Proverbs thirteen twenty. Um, let me go there real quick. So Proverbs 13.20 says, walk with, walk, walk with the wise and become wise. Associate with fools and get in trouble. That's what the NLT says. You know, you want to be wise, walk with the wise. The wise people are not always going to tell you the things that you want to hear. They're going to tell you hard things sometimes, right? And so I would just ask you, are you surrounding yourselves with people who you invite them to speak into your life? You invite them to... Uh, you know, to get their thoughts, their counsel, and weigh it. Not dismiss it out of hand, but to weigh it against the Scriptures, certainly, right? Um, but some things aren't always black and white, and you have, to, you have to decide, right? You're the one that's going to have to live with the consequences of whatever the decision is, right? But are you a seeker of godly counsel? That's a question for you. Um, and are you getting all sides, right? Are you getting all sides of what you're seeking a wisdom on? Not just where you're leaning towards, but maybe what you're leaning away from. Might be good just to hear that, because maybe you got a blind spot, okay? And so, but this is, the, this is the issue here, right? He rejects wise counsel and he divides the kingdom. This is, this is his issue. This is, um, you know, quite a legacy that he is, uh, is leaving behind, is he's the one known for the one who basically um, split the kingdom, Rehoboam. Right? If he had just kind of not taken a hard line, those people up there probably would have just installed him as the king, and it stayed united. But God knew this wasn't going to happen. Let me just uh, fast forward here a little bit. Uh, when you look um, at the uh, look at 1 Kings 14. Um, 
I'm not forgetting everything that's in 13, but I'm still talking about Rehoboam. If you look in 1 Kings 14, verses 22 to 24, 1 Kings 14, 22 to 24, listen to what it says here. It gives kind of a summary of Rehoboam there. It says, uh, during Rehoboam's reign, the people of Judah, remember that's the area of the south that, who did stick with him, and that's where Jerusalem is, did what was evil in the Lord's sight, provoking his anger with their sin. For it was even worse than that of their ancestors. For they also built for themselves pagan shrines and set up sacred pillars and Asherah poles on every high hill and under every green tree. There were even male and female shrine prostitutes throughout the land. The people imitated the detestable practices of the pagan nations the Lord had driven from the land ahead of the Israelites. And this is just kind of a summary of all that happened during his reign, right? Uh, of just the uh, of just the area of Judah. Okay, so there we have Rehoboam rejects wise counsel, and he's the one that really ultimately uh, divided the kingdom. Now, uh, in verse twenty-five of chapter twelve, enter uh, Jeroboam here, and what we get a, a little take on what he does um, with the northern tribes. Okay, Rehoboam against the southern tribe of Judah, right? And uh, then you've got uh, Jeroboam with the ten tribes up north. So in, in uh, chapter 12, verse 25, uh, we have, and I've titled here, Designer Religion, basically. Uh, remember the picture of the map? Where's Jerusalem? It's down in the south. It's not up here where Jeroboam and the ten tribes are, is it? Okay, um, now there was, nothing, there was nothing there necessarily saying that those people couldn't come down to Jerusalem and worship. In fact, that was the concern of Jeroboam. He's like, you know, these people, they're going to want to go down there and visit Jerusalem for all the festivals and all this stuff, and they're going to start liking that Rehoboam guy. And he's probably going to kill me. And he really, I mean, he was thinking these things, right? But you know, God dis, did actually promise him through the prophecy he would be the king. So he, in one sense, he really wasn't trusting the, the Lord. Jeroboam wasn't. Um, so he's so now. Uh, let's take a look here. In, uh, in starting with verse twenty-five, it says, "When Rehoboam arrived, oops, sorry, uh, Jeroboam then built up the city of Shechem in the hill country of Ephraim, and, be, and it became his capital. That's why they had that flag planted up there on the map." Jeroboam thought to himself, unless I am careful, the kingdom will return to the dynasty of David. See? When these people go to Jerusalem to offer sacrifices at the temple of the Lord, they will again give their allegiance to King Rehoboam of Judah. They will kill me and make him their king instead. That's what I was talking about. So guess what he does? He just decides, hey, we're going to, um, we're going to make our own religion here. Well, we're going to make our own area of worship. It says... Um, in verse 28, so on the advice of his counselors, problem, okay, again, just saying, the king made two gold calves. Whoop! Alarm bells should be going off here. Okay? Two golden calves. Right? He bested Aaron. Made an extra one. Okay? All right, two golden calves. He's going to put one in the area of Dan and one in the area of Bethel. Both have kind of spiritual, um, in, in a sense, memories and they have uh, some significant things spiritually happened at those locations. So his advisors were probably putting a good spin on this. 
Okay, I'm speculating a little bit here, but he was concerned about what people were thinking. And so he's like, let's put the two calves. One of them's going to go in Bethel. One of them's going to go in Dan. Not having any consideration for what God has said about worship. Okay? Uh, not None whatsoever. So, so he built his own temples. It says um, there that he, he made his own temples there. And it says, uh, excuse me, altars. Jeroboam also erected buildings at the pagan shrines, verse 31. He ordained priests, not of the line of Levi. Okay? So, hey, sign up. Take our course. You can become a priest. You know? Yeah, and he, yeah exactly. Just sign on up. You got enough money? Whatever. I'm making that up. But he, he, made, he, he did not consider what God had said, that the priests are supposed to come from the line of Levi. Totally ignored that. He instituted religious festivals um, in verse 32. Verse 33, it says, uh, so on the 15th day of the month, eighth month, a day that he himself had designated, again, designer religion, he's deciding when these things are going to be. Jeroboam offered sacrifices on the altar at Bethel. He instituted a religious festival for Israel, and he went up to the altar to burn incense. So he's about ready to give the first offering of incense here on this new altar. Right? So first of all, we need to see this is a problem for God. Right? Um, if you look at Deuteronomy chapter 12, verse 10, let me just take a look at that for you. Uh, Deuteronomy chapter 12, verse 10. Okay, this is what God has said. He says, but you, this is looking back historically, what God asked them to do. It says, because, uh, excuse me, verse 10, but you will soon cross the Jordan River and live in the land the Lord your God is giving you. When he gives you rest from all your enemies and you're living safely in the land, you must bring everything I command you, your burnt offerings, your sacrifices, your tithes, your sacred offerings, your offerings to fulfill a vow to the designated place of worship, the place your God chooses for his name to be honored. That was the temple in Jerusalem, folks. Total disregard for the word of God. All because of the fear of the people. Right? All because of the fear of the people. And I could show you other places, you know, where he commanded that the priests were just supposed to be the line of Levi and all this kind of thing. But, but you get the idea. This, he's, he's just designing this thing and said, well, we'll just worship God how he wants. You know, this, it seems okay to do this. And people do this all the time, you know, by the way. Um, they kind of say, well, this doesn't seem like this ought to be a problem for God without really checking the scriptures out. Without really considering what the Bible does say about something, right? I'll read to you uh, something I picked up uh, at baptistnews.com. It says, uh, the, the title is Designer Faith, Part 1. Um, <clears throat> so it, it, it says that, um, talks about America's drift toward designer faith, custom tailored to fit personal preferences. Sociologist Robert Bella named his post-traditionalist phenomena of religion in his 1985 landmark Habits of the Heart. He introduces us to a woman named Sheila, who represents this. This idea, 
right, of uh, tailored religion. Um, Sheila says this, and I quote, I can't remember the last time I went to church. My faith has carried me a long way. It's called Sheilaism. Just my own little voice. It's, it's just, you know, it's just try to love yourself and be gentle with yourself. You know, I guess take care of each other. I think God would want us to take care of each other. And that's the quote. Sheilaism. I don't, you know, this is, this is that. Okay, she might, she might not be expressing uh, making golden calves or anything like that. But when you start saying, you know, I can, I can you know, that, that Christianity or faith is something that you just make up. No, it's revealed to us. It's been given to us how God wants us to worship uh, him. It's been given to us how he wants us to live for him. It's not up to us to, to make those decisions, okay, uh, for convenience. The other thing, by the way, Jeroboam says, you know, and again, this is, I'm telling you, this is spin. I don't only have to be there, this is spin. He's like, you know what, it's going to be, those people are going to have to travel all that long way to Jerusalem. We just need to set some stuff up here, make it convenient for y'all, you know. That's a problem. And it got me to thinking about how we so many times just, we, meaning just in general people, want things to be convenient for us. When it comes to worship, when it comes to living for God, we want things to be, so much to be done for us. There's no sacrifice in that. There's no um, pursuit of God in that. It's kind of like, well, kind of like, it's like a drive through Really. I mean, you know, um, it, it, you know, it's kind of like, well, just give me a little bit of this, a little bit of that. You know, and and I'll feel pretty good about myself. Well, it's not about feeling good about myself. It's about having God in the proper place in my life. Right? So I see this as as a caution for us. You got to make, we got to make sure, and and most of you probably already know this, but I'm just going to say the obvious. Whatever we do, we need to check it in the scripture. And many, you know, sometimes it doesn't say, much about it that we're trying to decide or, or, or think about, but there are some guidelines sometimes, some wisdom there, right, to, to help us. But many times, though, there are things like this that are obviously wrong, right? As a Christian, it's very clear, like, if you're a Christian, before you get married, God wants you to marry another Christian. That's very clear. I mean, I think it's, it's black and white. Okay, now people find themselves in all kinds of situations, right? Maybe they got saved after the fact and all that. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about, you know, you know, if you know the scriptures, it's clear on that. We don't get to decide that. If you're a Christian, you put yourself under the word of God. It's his word that matters. That, that, the problem with Jeroboam and the problem with Rehoboam is they wouldn't listen. They would not listen. They listened to the people and... Uh, you know, the famous, uh, I forget who it was in one of the Star Wars, you know, what does your heart tell you? You know? I forget her name, Amadala or whatever, I don't know. Um, but, you know, famous quote, but, you know, I know what she's saying, but, you know, don't follow your heart. You'll get good and lost that way. Good and lost, okay? It's not about your heart. Your heart needs to be with the Lord, right? And as the Proverbs tells us that we need to guard our heart with all diligence, for from it flow the springs of life. Um, and the thing I think about these guys here, you know, we, it's easy to kind of criticize them and everything, but any one of us could drift. Any one of us could drift like this and call it a good thing. You know, he, 
he turned this thing into something that he tried to sell it to the people and they bought it. Right? This is a problem. Design a religion. Um, and and I, I just encourage you guys, hold the line. Hold the line on the scriptures. Don't give in. God decides what marriage is and who it's between. Okay? He decides that. Not us. Okay? I mean, I'm picking some hot button issues, but just pick, pick, you know, pick whatever. There's plenty of things that are black and white that God has spoken about. Okay? You know, so we... If you're a follower of Jesus, um, we just need to be about people. We need to be people of the book so much that we, we can sniff out something that just doesn't seem right to help us avoid really stepping into the muck. And if you're a leader or if you're a leader of your household, taking other people down with you, right? Leading other people astray. So, this designer religion is going on. And again, just a question to ask, is what, I'm, is what I'm doing, does it check out with the Scripture? And the only way you've got to know that, well, is if you've got a, a friend that's a Bible Rolodex, or that you start studying it yourself, you know, which you need to do. It's good to have both. It's good to have um, friends that are close with you that study the Scriptures together with you. Okay, I think there's there's a that's a that's a good thing. Okay. Now, so as as it goes along there, we see uh, that um, you know he just he just violates all kinds of scriptural commands, right? And then what's interesting is. In, in chapter 13, so, you know, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not covering all these details, right? But giving you the, the big picture. Verse 13, or chapter 13, what's happening then is, right, <coughs> excuse me, right before he's ready to put, light the first incense on the altar, guess what happens? God sends a man. God sends a man with a message. Um, chapter 13, 1 Kings, verse 1, at the Lord's command, a man of God from Judah went to Bethel. He's, come, he's crossing the border, man. God's, he's like, I'm on a mission from God. Literally, he was. He's going to tell the truth in unwelcome territory. Okay, so he's going up there. It says, at the Lord's command, a man from Judah went to Bethel, arriving there just as Jeroboam was approaching the altar to burn the incense. Verse 2, then, the Lord's, then at the Lord's command, he shouted. And listen to this. He's going to talk to the altar. Listen to what he says. Listen to what this man of God says. He says, O altar, altar, this is what the Lord says. A child named Josiah will be born into the dynasty of David. And on you, he will sacrifice the priests from the pagan shrines who come here to burn incense and human bones will be burned on you. Whoa, that's some serious stuff here, right? Then he says, that same day, the man of God gave a sign to, uh, to prove his message. In other words, he gives a message of judgment, right? About what you guys are doing and how you're worshiping. And then God, he says, then God's going to give um, him the ability to do something that's going to prove uh, what he's saying is from God. It says, he said, the Lord has promised to give this sign. This altar will split apart and its ashes will be poured out on the ground. 
Verse 4, when King Jeroboam heard the man of God speaking against the altar at Bethel, of course, he's feeling threatened. He's the people pleaser, right? Guy's running, he's raining on my parade, right? He pointed at him. So here's Jeroboam. Let's say Cam is, Cam's the prophet. He's pointing at him like, ushers, get him out of here. You know, that kind of thing. Except when the king says it, you know, people die, right? And so, um, so he points at him. He says he pointed at him, and he says, seize that man. But instantly the king's hand became paralyzed. So it's like, you can't move, right? All right. Uh, no accident here. No coincidence. Instantly the king's hand became paralyzed in that position. He couldn't pull it back. Verse 5, at the same time, a wide crack appeared in the altar, and the ashes poured out, just as the man of God had predicted in his message from the Lord. God saying, listen up, Jeroboam. I'm giving you a chance, man. Wake up. Do you get that? Uh, the grace is the grace of God. I mean, God could have just nuked him right there, tore it all down, burned it all up, but he's, he's given Jeroboam and the people of God there in the north an opportunity to turn back to him. And this is a grace right here. It's amazing grace that God is doing this. And he showed him a miracle. It should have been enough that the word of the Lord came to him. You know, it should have been enough. He shouldn't have to have an authenticating miracle, but he got one. Right? That this guy did something. The king cried out, it says, verse 6, the king cried out to the man of God, please ask the Lord your God to restore my hand again. This guy's got some stones. Okay. I think I'd be worrying about more about my hand, more about everything else about me than just my hand. But I get it. It says, so the man of God prayed to the Lord and the king's hand restored and he could move it again. God granted him a mercy. Right? He granted him a mercy. But he did not repent. Basically, after that, after that happened, um, the king said to the man, come to the palace with me and have something to eat, and I will give you a gift. <laughs> he's like, he's like paying him off almost. Like, hey, thanks a lot. Thanks for saving my hand. Not eat it. He should have been on his face. He should have been repenting before the people of God, saying, I've led you astray. This was wrong. Because that was the message that came, a message of judgment because of their, the way they were worshiping was not the way God had asked. Right? Even after all of this, verse 33, listen to what he says. Verse 33 Of chapter 13. But even after this, Jeroboam did not turn from his evil ways. He continued to choose priests from the common people. He appointed anyone who wanted to become a priest for the pagan shrines. This became a great sin and resulted in the utter destruction of Jeroboam's dynasty from the face of the earth. He just wouldn't listen. Even though God gave a clear message. And this, this, should, you know, this should really wake us up. I look at that, and I'm like, you know, man, um, again, it's, it's about the condition of our heart, right? He had a hard heart. His heart was not soft towards the things of God. 
um, because really in his case it was a, a people pleasing issue, and he wasn't putting God pleading God over that. Um, I, I just you know I, I don't think we much think about this, but we need to fear God. We need to fear a heart that turns away from the Lord. We need to be afraid of that. In other words, we should we should we should love God so much. It's like I don't want to do anything that would come in the way of me and Jesus, that would come in the way of the relationship of me and God, whether it's something I watch, read, listen to, hang, people I hang out with, whatever, you know, that we ought to be protective of that. i just close with this. So, you know, he refuses to listen. We mentioned that. Um, but, but I just want to mention this last thing, too, is, and I won't spend a lot of time on it, but most of chapter 14, it's like, even after that issue at the altar there, right? He, of course, we know he doesn't follow the Lord after that. He continues to rebel against God and do things his own way. But then, some tragedy visits his family. His son gets really sick, and guess what? It's time to call out to God. And I get it. Right, I get it. Sometimes we can do the same thing. We're off and, lo- and running away from God, and something happens, and we cry out to Him. Right, but in this particular case, it was too little, too late for Him. All right, it was too little, too late for Him. And um, basically, um, it's so interesting that what He does is He tells His wife, "Can you, I can't believe this?" He makes his poor wife. He's like, "Hey, wife, I forget her name. You have to read it." Uh, anyway, she's, he says, hey, would you disguise yourself and go down to that prophet that told me I would be a king of Israel? Because uh, he's like, I know he's not going to listen if he knows who you are. Because I'm, re- you know, basically his nose and his heart is in rebellion, right? He says, disguise yourself and go down to her and, and, and see if he'll go to God on our behalf so that our son can be healed. Right? And so, but the Lord speaks to the prophet ahead of time. This guy's blind by now, by the way. But I think it's so cool. God gives him a word. He goes like, you know what? This lady's going to come down and going to say he's uh, uh, Jeroboam's wife. And it's, uh, or it's not Jeroboam's wife, but it is, right? It's, it's just so fascinating uh, to, to read about it. But anyway, so um, what happens is in, in uh, see here, <coughs> excuse me, verses 7 to 10. I want to read that here in chapter 14. Um, so it says, um, <clears throat> excuse me, this is the message she gets back from the prophet. He's like, I, I got a message for your husband. Okay, he says, give your husband, Jeroboam, this message from the Lord, the God of Israel. He said, and, and this is the quote. I promoted you from the ranks of the common people and made you ruler over the people of Israel. I ripped the kingdom away from the family of David and gave it to you. But you have not been like my servant David, who obeyed my commands and followed me with all his heart, uh, and always did whatever I wanted. You have done more evil than all who lived before you. What an indictment. You have made other gods for yourself and have made me furious with your golden calves. And since you have turned your back on me, I will bring your dynasty, uh, will, I will bring disaster on your dynasty and will destroy every one of your male descendants, slave and free alike, 
anywhere in Israel. I will burn up your royal dynasty as one burns up trash until it's all gone. The members of Jeroboam's family who die in this city will be eaten by dogs. And those who die in the field will be eaten by vultures. I, the Lord, have spoken. I mean, this is serious judgment. He would, again, God gave him chances to return his heart, but he would not. And he was, and his whole family was suffering for it. Verse 17, so Jeroboam's wife returned to Tizra uh, and the child died just as he walked, she walked through the door of her home. Boom, there was the judgment. As soon as she got back into the, got back from the trip, child died right as soon as she, tro- she crossed the threshold. This is very sobering, very sobering. Um, that basically he tried, to, he tried to use God rather than repent. It's like, you know, maybe God will save me even though I haven't been doing this. You know, and maybe he would have. But that was not what God wanted to do, and God had given him other opportunities. And so I just think with Jeroboam here, we've got this, this, these lessons, if you will. Uh, and by the way, you know, God all the while, uh, you get you get certain uh, verses that pop up and say this this was done according to the will of the Lord, even amidst all these terrible choices these people made. Uh, again, God is going to preserve that Davidic line at some point here. We know he's he's made a promise to David; he's going to make it good. All right, but now things look pretty bad, right? The kingdom is now divided, right? And and all this uh, idol worship is going on. People are just off the rails there in the north especially. And so, um, you know, I just think this is kind of a wake-up call for us that we need to listen hard to the Word of God. We need to listen up and ask God to give us a soft heart. Right? That if He says no, we, we just say there's, there's no negotiation. Right? There's no negotiating it. If He says no on something that's clear in Scripture, it's not, it's not a debate, right? It's not a debate. Um, and to also realize that there can be, you know, the A, we mentioned that God's a God of grace. He oftentimes uh, gives us opportunities to repent and turn back. But also, you know, it is possible for somebody's heart to be hardened beyond repair. And, again, I mentioned this, that, you know, this guy, it wasn't just his it didn't have consequences just on himself. His whole family suffered for it. His whole family suffered for it. Right? All right, let's pray. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, we are um, just uh, sobered to think about uh, these two, two people who um, were kings in their different locations and, and how... You know, one's rejection of wise counsel led to the division of God's people. And the other one, um, because of his fear of man and his wanting to, um, you know, he wasn't trusting you. He came up with his own way of relating to you. We think, we think this idea of Sheilaism is crazy. That was crazy. Um, Father, help us to... Um, to not have a heart that refuses to repent. Maybe some of us today come into this room and we've got some things going on that we need to turn our heart back to you on. Some ways of thinking that are wrong that need to be turned right. 
some actions that we've done that we need to repent of and maybe even make restitution with others. Um, Or maybe it's just something between us and you. We've been wrestling with you on, and we know you're right, but yet we're dragging our feet. Heavenly Father, give us a heart that just wants to be quick to obey. Um, And Lord, uh, give us a heart that wants to know your word so well not just for information's sake, but to want to live a life that's pleasing to you. To want to, to want to know if we're in error or straying or not. Because we're able to connect it back to the scriptures. And Lord, also remind us that we, uh, we serve a God of grace and mercy and that uh, you uh, do um, love a repentant heart. A heart that is, is, is broken and moldable and contrite and who's willing to not put any conditions on things but to say, here I am, Lord, I'm, I'm really messed up, but um, thank you for the grace that is received through Jesus Christ and the forgiveness, but I want my heart to be united. I want my heart not to be divided, but I want it to be united and with one pursuit, and that is of, uh, loving you and holiness and want to lead my family right. I want to lead my life right. I want to be a light for you. Um, And if you've called me to obey you on something, God, I just pray that you'd give us courage. If you've called any one of us here to obey you on something, and we're dragging our free, give us courage. Give us that courage.